of, uh, of this series, Unorthodox Episodes from the Talmud. Um, and today I'm looking at a very, um, I'm looking at an interesting Gemara from, uh, from a tractate that is not often looked at, uh, called uh, Me'ila, which deals with a number of different, from the order of Kanshim, it deals with a number of different aspects of the uh, of the temple and uh, and uh, things to do with uh, with that in in Jewish life. It's not a tractate that has particular application today in many ways, but it does have some fascinating material in it. The uh, episode that I want to look at, uh, in, a, in line with our uh, unorthodox episodes from the Talmud, is once again a very a very odd and strange episode that scholars have. Uh, uh, both, uh, well, have tried to unpack what exactly is going on here. It's based on what looks like a historical episode, uh, but we're not entirely sure what episode it's based on. But anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll launch into it and you'll see why it's, uh, it's unique and not, uh, not orthodox. Uh, Rabbi Matya ben Kheresh, uh, Shal Rabbi Matya ben Kheresh, uh, Rabbi called uh, Matya ben Kheresh, Asked Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. So Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, as you know, very very famous personality in the Talmud. He is one of the uh, later generation of Tanaim. That is, he is one of the five great students of Rabbi Akiva. And uh, this episode uh, happens really more towards the end of the life of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Some of you would know that later Jewish history ascribes the composition of the great mystical classic, the Zohar to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Uh, we know that he hid in the cave with his son. We know that he was a uh, very, very controversial figure as far as the Romans were concerned, but he survived the Hadrianic persecutions. Uh, and uh, you would know that the whole period of the Tamayim, that is from around about zero to around 200 CE, can be divided itself up into different parts, whether before the destruction of the temple, after the destruction of the temple, before the Hadrianic persecutions, after the Hadrianic persecutions. So this is really moving well beyond those events, moving towards the end of the Tanaitic period. So we estimate this must have happened around about 190, 195. So he's asked this question, uh, and here's the question. <laughs> so, to, the question is going to appear obscure because it's got to do with the discussion that the Talmud is having about uh, the blood of reptiles, that they can render a person unclean. So they asked Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Minayin the dumb shatim shuhutame. How do we know this? It doesn't actually say in the Torah that the blood of reptiles makes a person unclean. We know that reptiles do if you go around fondling reptiles, you're not going to be able to uh, participate in the service in the temple until you actually do some cleansing ceremonies. So how do we know, but how do we know that also applies to the blood? So Amar Lahem, he said to them, the Amar Kra, because the Torah says uh, in, in the book of Leviticus, Vezelachem HaTameh, and this will be unclean for you. And what we learned is a difference of opinion in Rashi and Tosfot, what that means, but it means that the way the wording of the Torah there is in some way superfluous to what's going to happen two verses later. And therefore, we know that what it intends is the blood. Uh, we're not going to go into that question right now. All you need to know is that they were very impressed with his answers. So, Amrullah Tamridav, his student said to them, 
Chakim Le'ben Yochai. Oh, that's a very clever answer that uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai has given. Amar Lahem. And he said to them, you should know that Talmud Aruch Bafiv Shel Rabbi Eliezer Ben Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Eliezer Ben Rabbi Yossi. That's actually a teaching, said Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, that was a prepared teaching that was already mentioned by a figure called Rabbi Eliezer Ben Rabbi Yossi. Now, Elazar Bar Yossi was a, the son of one of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's colleagues. Rabbi Yossi Bar Chalafta was one of the five great students of Rabbi Akiva, together with Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Rabbi Meir, and so on, uh, to have really reconstructed Judaism in the second half of the second century following all the Hadrianic persecutions. And uh, Rabbi Yosef Bar Chalafta was his colleague, and Rabbi Lazar was his son. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said, well, this teaching is actually taught by Rabbi Lazar by Rabbi Yosef. And then he launches, the Gemara launches into a discussion of the background to that answer. And here we go. Shepah Machat, there was a time, Gazra Malchut Gzera, that the Malchut, the ruling authorities, and we know that the ruling authorities are in fact uh, the Romans. Romans have been in town for a while now. So they decree that uh, people should not keep Shabbat, people are not going to be allowed to keep Shabbat, and they would not be allowed to circumcise their sons. This is another attempt of the Romans to try and eradicate Judaism. We can tell from what's going to happen later in this story that this is not the Hadrianic persecutions of the 120s because the decrees are slightly different and also because Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai will not, uh, was, was hiding during this period. This is later. They weren't allowed to keep the Shabbat. They weren't allowed to circumcise and that they were not going to let uh, Jewish families keep the laws of ritual purity, that men would uh, um, be required to um, uh, not, not well, they would be required to uh, consummate relations with their wives uh, without them having uh, gone to a mikvah. So they closed all the mikvahs. So, Halach Rabbi Ruven ben Ostroboli, remember this entire story is the background to Rabbi Lazar and Rabbi Yossi's answer on the blood of reptiles. So, Rabbi, uh, there was a rabbi called Ruven ben Ostroboli, and we, we're not entirely sure who this figure is, but he went at the time that the Romans made this, uh, this decree, and it is possible historically, that this decree was during the time of a later emperor towards the end of the second century called Septimus Severus. And Severus, unlike the couple of emperors before him, such as Marcus Aurelius and Minas Pius, who had had kind of favorable relations with the Jews, Septimus Severus was an emperor which you could see as a likely candidate for someone that might have made some anti-Jewish decrees. He was anti-Christian, he was anti-Jewish. He wasn't happy with the whole Abrahamic covenant business. So this rabbi, Ruben ben Astrobli, went Komi. He gave himself a special Roman haircut. 
And what we understand by the Roman haircut, and it's interesting because if you do research into hairstyles of the Roman Empire at the time of Septimus Severus, uh, what you see is that they actually did have a particular type of hairstyle um, that uh, where they would cut their hair in a fringe like this and then they would have these bangs that would, you know, rest on the forehead. So he went and he got himself a special, uh, a special Roman haircut. And he went and he sat down with uh, the Romans, whatever that means, with the authorities, with the Senate and so on. He must have been in Rome. He said to them, and it's very interesting what he said to them. And, and in fact, this technique is a technique that was used uh, a few times later in Jewish history. It's one of the techniques that the Jewish people do to get evil decrees averted, and that is to join the other side for a while and trick them into uh, revoking the measures. But this is what he said to them. Someone who's got an enemy, what do you want? You want your enemy to be rich or you want your enemy to be poor? And they said, well, actually, of course, we'd like our enemy to be poor. So he said to them, in can, well, don't let them do work on the Sabbath because that's going to take a seventh of their income. Why would you let them, why would you make them work on the Sabbath? You're actually going to impoverish them economically by not allowing them to work. And they went, oh, Amru Tavik, you've actually said something very sensible. Amali Batel, they said, well, maybe you should have known. But Lord, they know that decree. They annulled the decree because they thought that not letting the Jews work on Shabbat would be harmful to the Jews. Chazar Then he went back and he said to them, you know, with his Roman haircut, someone who's got an enemy, do you want your enemy to be physically weak or physically strong? They said, well, we want our enemy to be physically weak. So he said to them, you should let them circumcise their children and act days old because it will physically weaken them. There there was at the time, and there still is a bit of a belief in the world that uh, the strength of the Gentiles is derived from their foreskin. And no doubt the uh, Talmud uh, shares in that view. So you, 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 and, and not to mention the fact that, you know, it's, it's quite dangerous to, at some level, to uh, do an operation on a, on a young baby. But let them do that. Let them do that little week of them. Amru David, they said, ah, oh, that's very good. Amaru Bitlua. And so they annulled that decree because they thought it would weaken the Jewish people. Chazar Amar Then he went back and he said to them, someone who's got an enemy, do you want that enemy to increase or you want that enemy to decrease in number? They said, well, we want them to decrease in number. He said, if so, don't let them have relations uh, when they, uh, when, when, when uh, the women are in a menstrual condition. Don't let them do it. I mean, Basically, if you let them follow their laws, they're going to take out uh, intimate married relations for, you know, half the, half the time. So let them, let them do that. I'm ruling, oh, David, oh, that's a very good idea. The less we let them have sex and the less people they're going to have. And so they annulled the decree.
And then, and then the Talmud tells us that after all this incredibly successful rhetorical campaign that uh, Rabbi Ruben bin Ostrobli had made, Hikiru Boshe then they found out that in fact he was a Jew. And they restored the decrees. So this is one of those Talmudic passages which is kind of divided into two. Let's just like the one we looked at the last two weeks, but this one we're going to do all the way through. But now there's a shift in the narrative. The Talmud sometimes gives us narratives that are very dreamlike. They have different sequences. So that is the first sequence of this Agadic passage. So now we've got these decrees back in place. So Amru, so the rabbis got together and they said, probably around about in the in the in the mid 190s under Septimus Severus, Amru, who's going to go and annul the decrees? Who are we going to send? Someone's got to go. Rabbi Ruben plan didn't work. Someone's got to go and annul these decrees. So they said. Now moving over the page to Yudzayin and Mubed. Yelech Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. They say, well, we should send Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. No doubt he was one of the greatest rabbis of the generation, but also because that is the man who is used to miracles. He knows he knows about miracles. And we're going to need a miracle to get these degrees averted. He knows about miracles. And we know that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai knows about miracles because of the whole story given to us in Tractate Shabbat regarding the cave and Elijah and all the things that happened there when he was hiding from the Romans before. This would have been very late, very late in Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's career. In fact, he'd effectively already retired. He's living in Sephora, he's living in the north of Israel. He's got students around him, but he's quite elderly now and he's no longer really uh, that active, but they decide that he's gonna go to Rome. Uh, so, uh, and then, well, who's going to go with him? We can't just send Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai on his own to Rome. To uh, well, we, no, we, Historically, we have no record of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai going to Rome in the 190s. It doesn't mean that didn't happen, uh, but we don't have a record of it. We do have records of rabbis going to Rome uh, at the end of the first and during the second uh, temple period on, on deputations to get various decrees averted. This particular one we're not sure about, but the rabbis were discussing, they said, well, who are we going to send with him? So they, decided, they decided they would send Rabbi Lazar and Rabbi Yossi, who we mentioned earlier. This is the background to the statement he made, uh, because we're going to send him. And that's Rabbi Lazar and Rabbi Yossi. And Rabbi Yossi Bar Khalafta was a colleague of Rabbi Shimon's, but it's his son that they say they're going to send. Amalahem Rabbi Yossi. So Rabbi Yossi says to this council of rabbis that want to send his son with Rabbi Shimon. If my father Chalafta was still alive, would you say to him, Ten bin that you're going to send your son to be slaughtered? You're asking me to send my son to the Romans to avert a decree. However, <laughs> as all the commentators point out, and as the Talmud itself intimates, Rabbi Yossi was not concerned about the danger of the Romans. 
He was concerned about the danger of sending someone on a mission with Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, because we knew that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was not the most tolerant person of other people's lesser abilities. And we saw in the last couple of weeks how, for example, in Rav Kahana, accidentally upset Rabbi Yochanan, it cost him his life. And so Rabbi Yossi is concerned that Rabbi Shimon will actually be a dangerous traveling companion for his son. So the danger was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. But Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai didn't understand that, it appears. He thought that Rabbi Yossi, he wouldn't see himself as dangerous. I'm not dangerous. Uh, he, in fact, thought that the danger was the Romans. So Rabbi Shimon says, Amar Lahem, he said to them, Amar Lahem Rabbi Shimon. So Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said to these rabbis, Ilu haya Yochai Abakayam, if Yochai was, my father was alive, would you say to him, send your son for slaughter? You want me to go, but you'd never say that to my father's face. So he was trying to echo the sentiment of Rabbi Yossi, but they're actually talking about different things. So Rabbi Yossi says to them, and I'm going to go as well, because Dilma Rabbi Shimon, maybe Rabbi Shimon will punish my son on the way. Then, He's not concerned about the Romans as a, as a danger. He's concerned about Rabbi Shimon. So Rabbi Shimon might punish him to come to Stafina because I'm afraid of that. So eventually, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai accepted upon himself that he would not punish Rabbi Elazar. But even so, he punished him. Because when they were going on the way, this question was asked of them as they were traveling. And it's the question that we looked at at the beginning of the story. How do we know the blood of a reptile that it makes a person unclean? So as they're standing there and they're asked the question, Rabbi Elazar, the son of Rabbi Yossi, opens the side of his mouth and says the answer out the side of his mouth. And he says, So he goes, because of the verse in Leviticus, that from where we learn that the blood of the reptile is uh, makes unclean. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says to him, from the, you know, the, the way that you said that out of the corner of your mouth, it's recognized in you, Shetamil Chachamata, that you're a very wise young man. But the son is not going to return to the father. What did Rabbi Lazar and Rabbi Yossi do wrong? What did he do wrong? He spoke before Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, so he actually gave a decision in front of him. Remember from a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the fact that Rav, the, the real thing that Rav Kahana did wrong was that he made an enactment, a decision in front of his teacher, Rav, similarly here. The rabbis were very, very strict about giving opinions in front of rabbis that were greater than them. <laughs> and Rabbi Lanzo Rabbi Yossi had done that on this occasion. Now, <laughs> that's kind of the second part of this episode. And then this episode has a third part. Uh, but before we go into the third part, uh, we should point out that this, this episode has a parallel account in Yerushalmi 
And there and elsewhere in commentaries, it's stated that uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai um, reversed that decision because we know that Rabbi Lazar Bar Rabbi Yossi was still alive sometime later. So he actually did manage to return to, uh, uh, to the land of Israel safely. So, Yatsalikrato ben Tamalion, as they're getting towards Rome, a figure called Ben Tamalion came out to greet them. Now, Ben Tamalion is a particular type of a demon or goblin, and not a big scary goblin, but one of those goblins that uh, a bit like a Cupid figure that, um, you know, as, uh, as the commentaries say, is really just existing for the amusement of women. Uh, so he jumps out and he says, I'm going to come with you. I'm going to come with you to uh, help avert this decree. And of course, at that point, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon cried. Why did he cry? And he said, Just like the hand, where is the handmaid of my father's house? merited to be visited three times by an angel. And what he's referring to is what we read in last Shabbat's parasha about Hagar. Yeah? That Hagar was spoken to by an angel three times. And we understand that every time an angel speaks, it's a new angel. So she had a visitation from three angels. And I, not even once, says Rabbi Shimon I've never had an angel come to me. All I get are these, these demon goblin things. Nevertheless, if there's a miracle going to happen, let it come from wherever it happens. Okay, so it's not an angel, it's this uh, Bentamalion figure. So Bentamalion went ahead of them. He went ahead of the rabbinic party. And Al-Babate the Kesar, and he entered into the daughter of the Caesar. He possessed her. He possessed her. Um, and that can, that can take a number of different forms. Uh, the commentaries tell us that she spent her entire time calling out the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. But whatever it was, she was clearly showing signs of being possessed and disturbed. So, so by the time Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai got to Rome, and was deeply concerned, and they were all, you know, beside themselves, how to cure this position. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai walks in, Amar, and he says, Ben Tamalion said, Ben Tamalion said, Ben Tamalion, get up. That's all he has to say. Ben Tamalion, get up. Ben Tamalion, get up. We give the karele, and as soon as he called him on, on that, so he went out and he went away. Ben Tamalion's gone. So Ben Tamalion helped with the miracle by setting up this apparent amazing thing where Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was able to come in and go, just leave her. And the demon uh, that was possessing the, the princess left, but the whole thing had been a setup. In other words, this is the Talmud saying, despite the fact that Rabbi Shimon was set because of his ability to do miracles, what in fact happened was that the whole thing was a trick and it was set up at the start that the demon would do this in order to help. Amalon. So then they said to Rabbi Shimon and the rabbinic party, they were so thrilled that the princess was now cured. You can ask whatever you want. 
they took him into the treasures of the king of the emperor, Lishkol called the boat, to take whatever they wanted from the treasure trove, a treasure store of the king. And they found the document with the decrees, with the evil decrees against the Jewish people. And they took it and they ripped it up. And then this episode ends with a very, very unique statement. And that is the background to the statement, not only the background to the statement regarding the blood of reptiles, but the background to the statement that was made elsewhere at a different time. And that's how we know that Rabbi Lazar and Rabbi Yossi made it back to the land of Israel, despite having incurred the wrath of Rabbi Shimon, because he later said, I saw it be I saw what? And if not for commentaries and the other parts of the song, we wouldn't know what he's referring to, but he is actually referring to the parochet, the curtain that divided from the Holy of Holies in the temple. He saw that. And it's interesting that he mentions that because what it implies is, of course, that all of the treasures and furniture from the temple was stored in Rome and would therefore subsequently be now in the Vatican. Uh, so he said, and, and they didn't ask for any of that, they just asked for the decree. That's all they took, they ripped up the decree. But Rabbi Lazar and Rabbi Yossi says he saw the parochet. And there was on the curtain, on the holy curtain, the holy parochet, were drops of blood. And uh, as Rashi explains, uh, that that blood, in fact, was uh, from the special uh, sprinkling of the blood, because there was a sprinkling of the blood on the parochet on Yom Kippur. So this entire story, this entire sequence of episodes uh, is really talking uh, about, uh, really teaches us several things. First of all, it teaches us that, and we learn a lesson from here, that sometimes it is possible to go into the camp of the enemy and to disguise oneself as the other, to disguise oneself as the enemy in order to defeat them from within. Uh, and we learn that from the behavior of uh, Ruben Benostropoli. We also learn that uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, a great servant of the Jewish people, nevertheless, uh, may not have made the most ideal traveling companion. If you have to travel somewhere, uh, don't always rely on uh, on people's miracles. And we're going to actually look at the theme of relying on miracles probably next week because it's a fascinating theme uh, about the ability of the sages uh, to use miraculous behavior. And we learn that sometimes not all miraculous behavior is in fact that miraculous. Uh, and uh, we learn also that the instruments of uh, well, well the, a lot of the furniture of the of the temple uh, was hidden in rome and we, we we know that already because when when titus went back he took a whole lot of stuff with him and things like that uh, but thank you for um thank you for persisting with this episode today i wanted to do that there are many many other underlying themes there that we might explore and uh, we will continue our unorthodox episodes of the Talmud next week. We'll be able to wrap up some of these themes in a, in a kind of a similar parallel story that 
and I want to look at next week. So uh, I hope that I'll see you next Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the talk. For episode notes and transcripts, or to learn more about David's next classes and projects, visit davidsolomon.online. You can also find David on Instagram or Facebook. Thank you. We hope to see you again soon. Thank you.